Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. All right, and we're live after, yet again, more technical difficulties. Uh, episode 39, we're episode 39, let's go on, but um, in this episode, we've got a lot to cover. We're going to recap uh, C250, we're going to look forward to the fight night that's coming up this week, and then we're going to get into all the drama that's going down with the big stars all revolting, and we had a lot of big fights booked this week, so... Um, Let's get right into it. Billy, let's start with UFC 250. Uh, ended up being an awesome card. I think we kind of got the feeling that it was going to be, and it definitely delivered, you know, especially that main card. So let's get right into the the main event. You have Nunes, who, in my opinion, I, I think she's solidified herself as the baddest woman fighter of all time, maybe the baddest fighter on the planet. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I think she's the obvious pound for pound number one in the world i think um you know all hats off to felicia spencer who was you know tough as nails in that fight and and really kind of stuck it out but um you know amanda just the thing for me is amanda uses her length so well you know she's able to push people back keep them on the back foot push them up against the cage but they never really get close to her it's not like she's having to you know close the distance to do that she's able to just kind of hit them at range push them back, and then punish them once they get up against that cage. Super impressive win for her. Yeah, so Amanda becomes the first champ champ to defend both belts, which is something I don't I don't think we're going to see again, right? Well, kind of, because Daniel Cormier technically defended real, both belts. Real. The first legitimate champ champ to <laughs> defend both belts. So, um, she made history there. Um, I mean, honestly, the fight pretty much went how we thought it was going to go. She went in there and just kind of dominated her from the jump. And honestly, Felicia Spencer, just like, you know, I think every other girl fighter on the planet is just nowhere near the level of Amanda Nunes right now. She's on another planet. And I, I just don't see anyone beating her, period, until she's ready to retire. Yeah, I, I, it's almost like to a point where it feels like unfair, um, where they're going to have to like start making like freak show type fights. Like, you know, like could Amanda Nunes be Gabby Garcia? Yeah. Like that or type Kay of thing. Yeah, we, we talked about Kayla Harrison too. That's another interesting one, but I don't know. I don't, I don't see anyone on the current roster that gives her a competitive fight outside of maybe Valentina for a, you know, a trilogy, but no one at 135 or 145 is giving her a fight right now. So um, did you have any issue with the stoppage or the fight not getting stopped? I mean, to me, in my eyes, I mean, Felicia Spencer kept fighting the whole time, but she was she just had no shot. She was taking an absolute beating. Yeah, and look, I, I understand that and I hear that and I know you don't want your fighter to take undue punishment. But at the end of the day, this is a world title fight. And this might mm -hmm. be Felicia Spencer's only shot ever at a world title. Her only shot ever to like accomplish her dream of being a world champion. That is why she fights, I assume, at least part of it. So mm -hmm. I, I think if there's ever kind of that moment to let your fighter, I hate this phrase, but go out on their shield, 
like that's the moment is the world title fight um is is mm-hmm. let let them get every chance that they can even if there's a slim slim chance that they're able to get a knockout or a submission or something like that right all right so that leads me to my next question what is next for amanda nunez has to be a break right because there's just no one who's clear cut here to yeah. fighter in either division um and that's kind of the interesting thing to me is like the reason that she's able to be a champ champ who defends both belts and there's no problem with it is because both of these divisions are really thin right now. So it allows her to take time to defend the 145 belt. Then she could come back and defend 135 while 145 continues to develop. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Because in, in every men's division, even flyweight, like, you would not be able to do this because there would be contenders there, and there just aren't right. in either of these divisions. Yeah, I mean, no one's near the level. Like I said, no one's on the same planet as Amanda when it comes to skills, physicality, power in the women's bracket. So, um, all right, I, I kind of agree with you. I think she's got a baby on the way. Um, she has the daughter, I think, with with Nina. They did, or they are on? It's on the way. They they had it, I believe. Who's the father? Can you imagine the Super Junes? What if they paid John Jones to mix with Amanda Nunes? Are we going <laughs> to see like the best Fran- fighter Francis of all Ngannou. time? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I mean, for Amanda, gigantic win. Um, for me, I think her next fight is probably going to be uh, Megan Anderson. I think her and Felicia Spencer were, you know, probably – neck and neck for getting this last weekend's fight. And I think she's the next one. I, I think that 135 division needs to shake out a little bit and someone needs to rise to the top. And then we've always got Valentina lingering out there, but I don't think right now is the right time. I think both of them need to fight maybe one more fight, two more fights, and then you build for a huge super fight. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I actually think she's going to defend 135 next. So I had two potential matchups for uh, Aspen Ladd is fighting Sarah McMahon on June 27th. I think she could take on the winner of that fight potentially. And then Irene Aldana and Holly Holm are supposedly going to headline the August 1st card. So I think she could take on possibly the winner of that. But I see her fighting one more time at 135, fighting Megan Anderson at 145, and then... Uh, the Valentina super fight. Okay. Um, all right, let's move on to the bantamweights. This card was really about, you know, we've got the most dominant fighter in the world at the top, and then we have a huge, huge stat card for the bantamweight division. So let's start with Cody No Love. Um, we talked about this last week. His back was against the wall. This dude needed a win, and he came out, and he got it in spectacular fashion. I, I don't know what else to say. It's He looked incredible. From start to finish, he looked like he was – a different fighter. So uh, what did you think of kind of the new and improved Cody Garbrandt? Yeah, I think the, the footwork for Cody was really what was outstanding to me. I mean, the way that he circled a Sun Sao and able to kind of was able to kind of land like three and four shot combos with a power punch um, and then mm-hmm. circle out like Cody's game beforehand um, before seeing Mark Henry in New Jersey was really mm-hmm. about kind of you know, using footwork to get into the pocket and then kind of evading punches with slips and pulls and that kind of thing, but really staying in that pocket. So I was really impressed with the footwork, and I think that's what really set up the knockout because 
as soon as the sun cell got code cord and he really cell and the space I'd open you know, put away. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, for me, the biggest thing was Cody's mental. It just it seemed like he he kind of evened everything out. I think the Mark Henry having Mark Henry in his corner with you know his old guys at Alpha Mel um, helps a lot. But it just looked like mentally he was a lot smarter. You know, you saw flashes of the flashy kind of let loose and you know let go of your technique. Cody Garbrandt looked that's what got him the knockout. But for the most part. I saw a just mentally sharp Cody Garbrandt that was sticking to the plan. And we talked about it last week. The dude's got all the intangibles to be a champion. He's to me, he's one of the quickest strikers in, in the UFC as a whole. And that power he has for that division is pretty spectacular. So that was a huge win for Cody Garbrandt. Um, I think going into the fight, there was a little, little bit of questions kind of around his chin. What did you think of that, of what you saw? Because he did take some shots from the Sun Sal, but, you know, nothing crazy. Yeah, I thought he managed the risk well, right? Like, he, it wasn't a boring fight. There's no question that, you know, Cody obviously engaged and was, mm-hmm. I think, kind of leading the dance with the Sun Sal for a lot of it. Um, but he, he was never really put in any situation where he was open or he was in danger or I felt like a Sun Sao was really lighting him up or laying into him. Um, you know, I I thought he did a really good job of, you know, obviously in an MMA fight, you're going to get hit. Um, and he definitely took, he took a few punches, but in general, I thought he mitigated the risk very well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he just didn't put himself in those spots. You know, before, if he felt like he had you hurt, he would just let it loose and, you know, try to finish the fight. And he didn't, he, he didn't rush the finish. He, you know, obviously had that crazy walk-off KO, but he was just super technical, super smart, and then the the skills, the speed, and the power, it's all still there. So, yeah, that was really, really good to see Cody bounce back like that. Um, all right, so what do you think is next for him? I, I really do want to see him go down to 125. If he feels like he can make that weight, I mean, I would take him against Benavidez or Figueredo, no matter who wins that fight. And I think that is a whole new lease on on life if Cody Garbrandt wins the flyweight title. You know, now he's a career double champ. Um, and he's and he's right back in that superstar conversation, in my opinion. You know, if he's gonna stay at Bantamweight, um, I'd like to see him take on the loser of the Jan Aldo title match or a Dominic Cruz rematch, I also think is interesting. With it, yeah. I I'm Starting to lean towards the 125 thing. I was kind of on the fence about this all week. I I don't think he is ready to jump back in at the 135 title. You know, I heard a lot of people after that calling for Cody to step in, you know, over Jose Aldo. And I, I don't think he's ready for that yet. I'd like to see one more solid win and then him get another title crack. Um, I kind of agree with you. I, I think 125 is a no-brainer. I think he goes in there and smokes both of those guys right now. And then I think you see that confidence back, you know, mixed with the improved game plan under Mark Henry now. And I think that's a really, really dangerous Cody. And I think that's someone that can run that division for the next five years. And then he can bounce back and forth to Bantamweight and, you know, have big fights there. But um, all right, let me ask you this. What is the smarter career move for Cody and 
the UFC as a whole, him going down to 125 and becoming the king down there, or mixing him back in with these, you know, vicious top contenders at 135, where it's a, I mean, there's shark infested waters at 135 right now. What, if you were the UFC, what direction do you push Cody in? I, I mean, I think for me, uh, I think 125 is best for everyone. I think the UFC gets a legitimate star at flyweight. It's, you know, Cody gets uh, probably an immediate shot at the title. I can't imagine that he wouldn't. And then he can start to make those big fights at bantamweight anyway. So I think the, the faster you could get gold around Cody Garbrandt's waist, the better. Um, the, the thing, the only question for me is, is, can Cody make the weight safely? Can he make it comfortably? And can, you know, is, is that at all a problem? Because if it's not, I, I think you book him for the flyweight title uh, the second that Benavidez and Figueredo are done. No, I agree. Okay. All right. We're on the same page there. All right. Um, next bandweight fight. Aljamain Sterling submits Corey Sanhagen about 90 seconds into round one. Aljo is now five and on a five and zero win streak. Um, in his last five at bantamweight, he's in my eyes declared himself as the number one contender. What do you think of his performance? He's the uncrowned king. I consider Aljo Sterling the current champion of the bantamweight division in the UFC. I, I think uh, you know. I think he's got a better resume than Peter Yan, who everyone thinks is the boogeyman right now. Let me let me read this off for you. Peter Yan and Aljo Sterling have both fought Jimmy Rivera to a unanimous decision win. That's their only common opponent. Other than that, here's Jan's top wins. John Dodson and 40-year-old Uriah Faber. Mm -hmm. Aljo Sterling has beaten Brett Johns, who was 15-0 when they fought, Pedro Munoz, who knocked out Cody Garbrandt, Cody Stamen, who got another win this weekend, and is number Looked 10 incredible. in the division right now. Yeah, it looked really, really good, too. And Corey Sanhagen, who he choked out in 90 seconds. I mean, to me, that's, that's not just number one contender. Like, he is, he's the guy. He has the best resume at 135 right now. So, let me ask you this. Why do you think the UFC is going sticking with Aldo? It seems, I think they booked it the day after this fight. You know. Why do you think they're sticking with Aldo? Do they? Do you think they see it as Peter Yan needs one more big win to solid, you know, to build up this huge fight between him and Sterling, or what? This isn't about Peter Yan. This is about Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo has been loyal to the UFC and been a company man yeah. for a decade. And they, because Henry Cejudo asked for him, they gave Jose Aldo a bantamweight title shot which got taken away because of the pandemic and because of the pandemic alone. He didn't lose in a cage. It didn't happen. Nothing happened that in the sport that would preclude him getting that title shot. So Dana's just sticking by his guy. And so that's why they're yeah. giving him the title shot and nothing else. It has nothing okay. to do with him actually being great at the bantamweight division or Peter Jan wanting Aldo instead of Aljo. It, it, it has nothing to do with that. So, what do you do with Marlon Marias? I he... give him the Corey Sanhagen. Yeah. Why not? Corey Sanhagen coming into this fight, I mean, you talked about it. A lot of people talked about it. Was kind of considered the, the dark horse, this guy that nobody wanted to fight, awkward style, good everywhere. I mean, he's still number four in that division. 
you know, he's ranked above Jose Aldo. Marais is ranked one. You know, that's a, to me, the rankings make sense. The skill sets make sense. They're both very balanced guys. I think Corey's more. Yeah, I also think, I mean, Corey's going to be able to make a pretty quick turnaround. He didn't really take any damage. You know, he basically got put in a bad position and got submitted, submitted in, you know, 90 seconds. So I think he's going to be willing to make a relatively quick turnaround. Um, so, yeah, I'm down with that. I think Marlon Marias versus Corey Sanhagen. I like Cody Garbrandt versus Corey, Corey Sanhagen, you know, and so I, I think there's a lot of ways you can go from there. Um, all right. So, yeah, Aljo, to me, I mean, did a lot to solidify himself as that number one contender. Um, how bad did you miss not having Sarah Longo in the corner with zero crowd? That would have been oh. very, 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 very high level entertainment. That's all I. That's all I wanted. That's all I got excited for. The first no crowd event we had, I was like, oh, Parker. Imagine we had Matt, Sarah, and Ray Longo. I mean, did you see Ray Longo's Instagram with the uh, no. parade of cars for Aljo? Incredible. No. He's like screaming outside of his gym. He's like, Aljo, look at all these people. They're here for you. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's one of the best corners in MMA. And then you have Raging Al with his soul afro. I don't know what the hell's going on there. But, um, yeah, good stuff from those guys. Um, huge performance from Aljo. All right, let's move on to yours and my favorite fighter. The Sugar Sean Show has arrived. Um, I think we both called it. I think you, I called second round knockout and you called first round knockout, or did we both call first round knockout? Whatever, we were freaking on. That was, he looked flawless. I, I, I think. Had, I had first round KO. I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think he looked incredible. Uh, I, I, I just, just think. I had Corey, Cody Garbrandt second round KO. I had Nunez by decision, and I had Sugar Sean in the first. Yeah, I don't know. Sean O'Malley came out and man, he put on a show. That from his hairdo to the walkout to the interview, from start to finish, I mean, he absolutely crushed it. The way that dude carries himself, he is going to be a gigantic star. I went back and rewatched the the fight last night. I noticed two things I didn't pick up in the first in the first fight. When he when he walks out to his name, he does the Conor McGregor that, and then. When they start the fight, he does the John the John Jones crawl. So he's got two of the goats. He, you can see he's mirroring these guys. He's taking the best of what he's seen from all these superstars. He's combining it to make the Sugar Show. And I think we see the same thing with Israel Adesanya. He's done a you know he's had a similar path as we see unfolding in front of our eyes with Sugar Sean. Um, he's going to be a gigantic star. That guy. He's got it all. So what what in particular um, did you like or or impressed you about just the whole Sugar Sean performance as a whole? Yeah, I think for me, the thing that's so impressive is he has such good flow. 
in the sense that like all of the strikes string together really well. Um, so it, you never really know when a co one combination ends and another begins. And then the other thing is, is he has really difficult techniques that he does very fast. So he'll hit like spinning kicks and stuff and they'll come out of nowhere and there's no tell on them. And you could just, you could see like world-class fighters in the UFC who are completely caught off guard by the way that this guy can unleash, you know, a lot of those long range attacks. So I was super impressed by him yet again. Um, my question to you, Parker, do you think, so we've now seen him fight twice since he came back from the USADA suspension. Do you think this performance was more impressive than the Jose Quinones performance? Opponent aside. Uh, well, I think it's the biggest thing. It's, it's the opponent. I mean, it's Eddie Wineland. It was a name. Jose Quinones, I mean, no one had ever heard of. Eddie Wineland's a former champ, WC champ, a legend that's been around forever. And Sean just made it look like it was a bum. I mean, he goes in there and he just knocks these dudes out and it looks effortless. Effortless. And that, that's why I think he can become such a big star because he's got it all. I mean, he's got the stoner thing. <laughs> he's, he's literally got the best of the biggest stars. You know, he's got the the flashiness of Conor McGregor. He's got the stoner, you know, I don't give a fuck of Nate Diaz. He's the dude's got it all. He's got it. But, he's got it all. He's so he's so calm on these big stages. That's not normal for a 25 year old kid to just go in there and handle all the pressure and just starch people time after time. And like you said, the biggest thing is the flow in the in the cage, and he gets so much better each fight. So I, I, I don't think we've anywhere seen the ceiling, anywhere near seen the ceiling of Sean O'Malley. And I honestly think that two-year suspension was the best thing that could ever happen for him. He's, he's improved his game night and day from what he was on the Contender Series. On the Contender Series, he was a flashy, fun fighter, you know, but he had a lot of holes. And I, I just don't see many holes right now in Sean O'Malley. I see him as someone that's, He's got everything it takes to be the champion at Bantamweight a year from today. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I, I think the thing that you're, you're getting at is Sean O'Malley is so compelling as a fighter because he's so unique in both his style, his look, how he carries himself with, you know, the weed and the video games, but layered beneath that is kind of this like Joe Rogan self-improvement obsession. Um, you know, he's always posting like himself reading these like self-help type books. Um, and then he's so authentic. Like you yeah. never think like you never think he's playing a character. Like it always seems like he's having fun. This is effortless to him. Like it, it, it doesn't feel forced at all. Like it feels very real. And that's a, a, that combination is how you become a star in the UFC. It, it's both someone who intrigues us but is very relatable yeah and, and i think you and i can both agree and i i heard um king henry was talking about this on the joe rogan show but he's still a guy that he's got to get tested he's got to get dragged into the later rounds with you know someone like joe rogan made this comparison but when yaya rodriguez was skyrocketing through the rankings at featherweight and he got taken down and got his face beat in by Frankie Edgar in Dallas. He's got to go through a fight like that, I think, and I think that's coming to, for us to really see what Sean O'Malley's made of. 
But right now, I mean, he's just starching these guys, and he's looking, just making it look easy, easy, effortless. So it's it's really, really impressive to see how far he's came since the Contender Series and how far he's going to go. I think he's only, what's he, 25, 26 years old? Yeah, 25 years old. Yeah, so pretty incredible. And, I mean, this is a younger division at Bantamweight, but um, I was really impressed by Sugar Sean O'Malley. Um, so... What did you think of the hair? I loved it, man. I, I kind of think like Sean could do a uh, like a Dennis Rodman type deal where he's got new crazy hair for every fight. And I think that would be his thing. And like, I think people would really latch on to that. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, all right. So for Sugar Sean, I you know, for his next opponent. Like I say, I, I think the UFC is going to bring him up relatively slowly. I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw with Israel Adesanya, where you've got, you're just slowly creeping, you know, through the rankings. You move up two or three spots every time. And then they don't rush it, is what I'm saying. Like, like what happened with our other boy, Chase Hooper, that, you know, had a good performance and he gets thrown in there against a vet with, you know, 10 to 15 UFC fights and just gets handled. Um, I think they're going to do the smart thing with Sugar Sean and they're going to just bring him up slowly. So for me, I think they could go one of two routes with Sugar Sean's next fight. I think you either give him a 11 through 15 guy. So we're talking Song Yudong, um, Cody Stamen, who looked really, really good this weekend, really, really tough. Or you give him like a John Dotson, who's got a bigger name, but is going, you know, in an opposite direction in his career. Or you use Dominic Cruz or Uriah Favor for the next fight, give him a huge name, let him headline a fight night, and then if he goes in there and starches one of those guys that, you know, a veteran of the sport, I, I think he's, in a, he's a top five fighter. I mean, he's right in the mix with Cody Nolove, Aljamain, Peter Yan, um, Sanhagen. So what, what do you see being next for him? Those names written down. So I think for me, I think the Song Yadong fight is probably the most interesting. Um, the other guy I would throw in there is like a Cheeto Vera, um, who I actually think Sugar Sean just bumped him from the top 15. Um, mm -hmm. But I love, love the John Dodson fight. I love Cody Damon fight. I think the Tom is. I think absolute test for Sean. Um, it, you know, it's not a guy like uh, Jan or a Garbrandt who I'm worried is going to knock him out real bad. Um, so they can kind of do that more measured approach. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I really like the idea of, uh, you know, Dom Cruz against Sugar Sean O'Malley. Yeah, that's an awesome matchup you can make right away. And I, I agree. I think you kind of protect sugar sean for the next two fights you know one to two fights and then you've got no choice but to throw him in there with the animals um yeah i was not a huge fan of him taking on cody cody no love next i think that's how you put a screeching halt to our huge rising stars have him go in there against cody no love and get starched you know in the second round and then where do you go from there there's a huge rebuild you have to do with him so yeah I, i'm really interested to see what the next year looks like for him um, 
where where do you think Sugar Sean is a year from the date? I think he's you know let's say if he if he's gonna fight three to four times over the next year, I think if he fights three times that puts him in the top five. I think if he fights fights four times, his next fight would be for a title shot, assuming he's gonna win all of those fights. So I'd say he's today in the top five if not next in line for the title. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I think a year from the date, he's, he's fighting for a title. I just think when you look at the top five in this division, outside of Cody Nolove, you don't have a superstar. Al Jermaine, you know, Corey Sanhagen, Peter Yan, Pedro Munoz, all great fighters, but no one's Sugar Sean and no one's Cody Nolove. So especially if Cody Nolove goes down to 125, I think the UFC is really going to get behind Sugar Sean, and I think they're going to move him up. And, you know, I think he'll be fighting for a title this time next year. So, um, all right, huge night for the Bantamweights. Um, you just you realize how stacked that, you know, that division is right now. It, to me, it's creeping up on becoming the best division in UFC. Um, out of all the Bantamweights, yeah. Yeah, I think after this weekend, you could definitely make a case that it is. Um, so out of all these performances, who impressed you the most? I got to go with Aljo. I just think yeah. the quality of the opponent, like, Corey Sanhagen is a great grappler. Like, not a good grappler, not a competent grappler. He's not a good striker with takedown defense. Like, he is a legitimate great grappler. And Aljo made him look like a white belt out there. I mean, just, you know, had his way. I was so impressed with that. How about you? I think it's got to be Cody Nolove. I think he had his back against the wall. He had to had to get a win, A, and then to do it in that fashion, um, man, that was awesome. That was special, and that was huge for him. I think that's going to be a huge turning point in his career, and it's awesome for the UFC. We, we've talked about this at length, but, I mean, he's a superstar. So to have him back in the mix in that division right now, or have the option for him to go down to 125 is gigantic. So, all right, you're Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard. How do you match up the Bantamweight division right now? So, obviously, Jan versus Aldo is booked, and I'm going to, you know, in my fantasy world, like, that's going to stay intact um, with Aljo getting the winner. Um, I'm going to do Marlon Marais against Corey Sanhagen. Uh, headline any fight night in America with that one. Um, if Cody wants to stay at 135, I like the idea of Cody against Pedro Munoz in a rematch. Let Cody get that one back. Um, and then, but I really do want him to go 125. And then I'd love the idea of Sugar Sean against Dom Cruz. Absolutely love it. So, um, that's, yeah, that's what I'm That's an awesome fight. All right. I had, um, I want Jan versus Sterling. That's to me, that's. That's the real title fight. Um, Jan versus Sterling won. Two, I had Aldo versus Cody Nolove. I think that's a fun fight with two big names. I could headline a card. Um, Corey Sanhagen versus Dom Cruz. I was calling for that one before, and that was actually supposed to be booked before, I think, before Dom ste stepped in to fight Henry. So I still want to see that fight. And then I think for Sugar Sean, um, I really like the idea of him fighting uh, Cody Stamen. I think Cody Stamen looked really good. And then I agree with you as well. Song Yudong, he had a good performance against Cheeto Vera uh, a couple weeks ago. So I think that's where we're going to find Sugar Sean. But really, really fun right now. So, all right, last question. Who's your champion 
January 1, 2021 at Bantamweight. Um, you say who's the champion? Yeah. Uh, my champion, my champion 2021 is, is Aljo Sterling. I, I just don't think anyone, I don't think anyone is more complete in that division. I think Aljo's grappling is way better than anyone else's at 135 now that Henry's gone. Um, I, I just think he has all, everything that you look for in someone who can be a, not only a champion, but someone who could be a long reigning champion, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I I had Sugar Sean, but I didn't see it said January one. <laughs> I was thinking this time next year. Um, yeah, this, yeah, Aljo. I'll go with Aljo. All right. Um, let's jump into. We'll run over briefly this weekend's card. Um, it would be a sin a big... <laughs> to spend a lot of time on this card, Parker. Okay, you got five minutes, Billy. Let's run through this card. Um, I you know. This is just one of those cards. It's not. Is it the worst card ever? No. Is it a eh, shitty card? Yes. Is it? Uh, is it the worst card ever? Though. Is it? Uh, it could be. Uh, I'm kind of on that side, dude. I was looking at a lot of bad UFC cards. This is really bad, and like, I think it's just kind of evidence of how the pandemic affects things and and how badly we really need like Fight Island because the. The internet, not having the international fighters and then having kind of the problems with the champions that the UFC is having right now, your domestic fighter base is really low. I mean, this is like an LFA card, Parker. LFA card. If this was an LFA card in Dallas, I would not go see this card. There's no way. <laughs> Zero chance. Um. All right, you run over the main event, and then we'll talk about any other. You know, maybe maybe watch fights on this card. I mean, I'm gonna watch. I'm you know I'm I'm addicted. I you know I I'm going to watch. I'll shit on it all week, and then I'll tune in and watch. You know, twelve, thirteen fights. So, um, but main event, uh, Cynthia Calvillo against Jessica I. Um, Calvillo is moving up from one fifteen. She's 8-1-1. One, one. Her only loss is to Carla Esparza. She's a great grappler, real submission threat. She's moved on from Team Alpha Male, um, so new coaching, new camp for her. Um, Jessica I, her only loss at 125 is to Valentina, but overall she's 5-6-1 in the UFC. Um, she's a decision machine, man. I mean, other than the Leslie Smith doctor stoppage, which if you want a, a good time, Google Leslie Smith ear. Um she hasn't she hasn't finished a fight since Bellator 83 in 2012. So, you know, that's 8 years of not finishing fights except for the Leslie Smith ear situation. So, uh I I think the winner of this fight is going to fight Caitlin Chukagian. I don't even think this is the number 1 contender fight at 125, which is the thin division to begin with. I'm going to take Calvillo here, but uh could see this one going either way. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I, I think uh, Jojo Calderwood's going to fight the Russian spy next. She's going to be sacrificed to Valentina next. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know why this is headlining. I, I don't know. There's no one All else. Right. There's no one else to yeah. headline. Yeah. Um, 
right. So the the only other fight that I want to see on here is there was an epic video that came out a couple weeks ago about Marvin Vittori and uh, Carl Robertson. Carl Robertson missed weight. I think they were supposed to fight on, was it the Tony Ferguson card? Yeah, the they were like the that? first, they were like the curtain jerker on the Tony Ferguson so, Justin Gaethje card. So you've got uh, Marvin Vittori in a fit of rage, just fucking trying to fight everyone in the hotel lobby, calling them all fucking pussies. You pussy, you pussy. And his, his Italian accent. But, uh, yeah, there's some heat on that one, so I think that'll be fun. Um, anything else for you? I don't sleep on Marab Davalishvili against Ray Borg. Uh, Marab is the guy out of Saralongo. Ray Borg, I think, is fairly well known in the MMA circles. Um, so they both lost to Ricky Simone. Marab's was kind of that controversial submission, if you remember, where they said he was out when he said that he wasn't, and then. Obviously, Borg looked good in his fight against Simone not too long ago. So, uh, I- I'm ex- excited for that one. I think it should be a high of good scrambles. Um, you know, Borg throws some heat. Uh, is a bit more of a technical fighter, um, but should be a fun one. So, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Okay, let Billy, let's hang up and then call back. That way, we have these separated in case there's a screw up. So. Part two to be continued here shortly. Yeah, we're good. Let's get into it. So part two of this episode, um, we're going to jump into really what was probably the biggest news of the week in MMA. You've got the world rioting, and then you've got all the UFC stars rioting. Biggest stars protesting (laughs) Dana White. So, man, it was, it's been crazy. Let's, um, let's just go add them one by one and kind of give an update of where each fighter's at. And then we'll, you know, ask questions about it. But you've got John Jones, you've got Jorge Masvidal, you've got Conor McGregor, and you've got King Henry. Basically, all pretty much in the same boat. You know, coming at it a little bit from different angles, but let's start with John Jones. Um, Basically, with John, you know, he's not he's not earning huge money fighting light heavyweights. So his, I think his master game plan was he was going to move up and fight Francis and the UFC basically, basically told him to get fucked. You know, we're, we're going to pay you what's on your contract. We're not overpaying you for Francis. If you want to move up and fight him, fight him. If not, go fight Jan Blovich. So that's kind of where John's at. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I think John, of all these people, I think John, to me, has the best case for getting paid more. I mean, he... I think he's, he's earned the, it, right? And when you I, look at these three guys, who's earned it more than John Jones? You know, we've talked about this at length. Obviously, John Jones has shot himself in the foot a lot. But when you look at his track record, I totally agree. Well, and not to mention, like, in that kind of first era of his career, which I would describe as basically, like, everything leading up to, like, the Gustafson fight, right? You know, where he's taking out this entire generation of light heavyweights. I mean, he was wildly underpaid compared to what those pay-per-views were bringing in. They made tons and tons of money off of John Jones' back. When he was a young fighter, he wasn't a big name yet. He wasn't really, you know, he hadn't gotten the Nike sponsorship or you know, Gatorade or all of that, but like he's, he's done it. Like he's not only the greatest fighter of all time, like 
he sold he sold tons and tons of pay-per-views and the idea that they won't pay him extra to go up to heavyweight is a not a natural division for him and fight the scariest guy on the planet i mean i, I if uh, to me, that says that if you're not willing to pay John Jones to go up and fight Francis Ngannou, you're not really willing to pay anybody. Yeah, and then for John, I totally get it. Like, that's a huge risk. That's way riskier than fighting Jan Blahovich or, you know, Tiago Santos or what's his name, uh, Dom Reyes. I mean, that that dude, he's killing everyone that he's fighting. So in two um, minutes, in two minutes, every under, every fight ends within under. two minutes. Yeah, he knocked out the best, what, in our opinion, one of the best heavyweights of all time in Cain Velasquez in, what, 27 seconds? Something stupid. How about what he yeah, did to Overeem? I mean, Overeem yeah. has an unreal chin, and Francis Ngannou put Overeem in orbit. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where John's at. He's basically saying, uh, you know, release me from my contract. Or or pay me big bucks to go fight Francis. And then the week after, you have Jorge Masvidal, who me and Billy have talked about it at length, but um, in my eyes, he was your biggest star of 2019. He you know, is a guy that's been around forever. He's fought everyone, and he really you know, hit his stride, and he was on his way to being a gigantic star before this pandemic hit. And then he basically talked himself out of a title fight. You know, pretty much gave up a title fight to kind of protest and try to stick it to Dana White. And that's where he's at right now. Yeah, but here's the thing. They were, you know, they're going to offer him half of what he made for the Diaz yeah. fight to fight Usman. Half. I mean, I, I get that there's a difference between headlining MSG with fans against right. Nate Diaz versus fighting Kamaru Usman for a title in Abu Dhabi. But like, he deserves he deserves to get paid at least what he got paid for the Nate Diaz fight. Because I'd even argue that he's a much bigger star now. It's not his fault that Usman can't sell and that the UFC hasn't promoted him. Yeah. But, what, I mean, if you're in Georgia's spot, do you... For me, I would take the title fight. I, I think you have to just... I don't know. I think you got to roll he's the punches. Tough, you, he he's may in never a get a title spot. shot again. What if he never gets a title shot again? Uh, well, and here's uh, the thing. He can he can get mad about being underpaid for his career, which I don't disagree with him at all. But he wasn't with the UFC for a lot of that career. He's not like John Jones, who's been with this company since he was 18 years old. Like, it's a very different situation where you know he's a little bit of a johnny come lately to this you know echelon of star and you know i think keep it because here's the other thing he doesn't have the disposable income of than conor mcgregor so months a year we're fighting without making any income no, I totally agree. And I, I think I heard maybe Luke Thomas or someone make that point. It's like, hey, you know, John Jones has been head, headlining main events in the UFC pay-per-view main events for the last 10 years. George Masvidal's, you know, made decent money throughout his career, but I don't think he's in the spot to be protesting and not fighting. You know, I, I think 
I think he's going to look back on this and see it as a big missed opportunity because I think if he got that 170 belt, he sets himself up for gigantic paydays. And I think he might have fucked up here. I really do. And I, I think, you know, Gilbert Burns stepping in after his... Who, who's the biggest winner of the pandemic? It's Gilbert Burns. That dude is became a superstar in the in top fighter, you know, in that division in the last three months just because he's there, he's willing to fight, and it's paying off. So, yeah, I agree that Jorge is probably in in the toughest spot here because I think he le- loses a lot of shine if he doesn't if he doesn't get that title. And then who's who's promising that you're going to talk Nate Diaz into a fight right now with you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Jorge's put in a really, really bad spot here. And then, to add to it for the UFC, Conor McGregor retires again for the third time. And I don't think his is money-related. I think he just doesn't have a fight. They can't find a fight for him. You know, Justin doesn't want to fight him. I literally think that Connor is retiring because uh inactivity. I think the yeah. UFC just can't get him a fight that's like worth him getting out of bed for. I and here's here's my thing, right? You have Masvidal complaining, you have Connor complaining. Why don't we just have Connor and Masvidal fight? It seems like that's the fight everyone wanted before. I, I think that's what you might end up with. Because I, I don't think either of those guys are going to be kind of left out in the cold. You know, I, I think Masvidal basically let the title fight pass. Connor didn't step in against Tony Ferguson. Justin Gaethje got the shot. Now Justin Gaethje's where Connor wants to be at 155. So, yeah, I, I think we've got a triangle now. We've got Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, Connor McGregor. Two of those guys are going to fight each other. And in the end, I, you know, I think that's probably the biggest fight that the UFC can make is any fight with those three guys right now. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still it's, it's a money thing. I, you know, I, I don't think it's a big deal with Connor because he's got so much outside money coming in. I don't think the money's a, a huge factor for him. But for Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, they're not going to take a pay cut to come in and fight during the pandemic. But that's why you match him up with Connor. That thing's going to sell like hotcakes. You put Conor McGregor on a pay-per-view right now, I mean, you make, you're going to make a silly amount of money off of that. You have no problem paying Jorge or Nate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so wh- where do you, if you're the UFC right now, what do you do? You essentially have, basically, Usman and Gilbert Burns are booked. You've got Khabib versus Justin Gaethje booked. What do you do with those three? How how do you get all three of those guys active right now? Because if you could get Tony, if you could get Nate, Connor, and Jorge active, you know, in the next three months, that's gigantic for the UFC. No, I agree. I you know I still I'm still in love with the Connor Nate trilogy. I think. I think you could work him in with either of those guys. I think there's also, you know, I like the Jorge Colby fight. I think that's interesting. I think Jorge against Leon Edwards is interesting. Um, and then I think you got to book John Jones against Nganu too. I don't know why they're messing that up so bad. Let me ask you this. Do you, 
Do you see any chance if Connor versus Jorge gets matched up? Do you think Jorge would pursue that 155 title if he goes in there and beats Connor? I think it's possible. I mean, Jorge's fought like half his career at 155. You know, I don't think it's comfortable for him, but I definitely think he can make the weight, um, especially if he, you know, if it's not short notice, if he has time to cut. So I would not be surprised actually to see Jorge want to want to go in and fight Khabib. Yeah, because that throws a, a big wrinkle in, in it. You're saying Khabib, you're sleeping on Justin Gaethje. Don't forget about Justin Gaethje. So I, I think that throws a big wrinkle into 155 if, if Jorge throws his hat in, fights Connor, and then he could go either direction. Maybe that's what, what they're looking at. That's why they so willingly passed up a 175 title. Um, all right, so the, the fourth fighter, we got King Henry. He's basically pretty much retired before all this protesting started happening about fighters' pay. But at the end of the day, that was pretty much the reason why he retired. He pretty much stepped away from the game to two-division champ, you know, at the height of his powers. And I think his is a little little different. We talked about it before, but, you know, the, the lower weight classes just don't draw. You know, look at Mighty Mouse Johnson. You know, his career in the UFC, he was never a gigantic star, although he was one of the best fighters on the roster, because those divisions just don't draw. So where do you think Henry's at right now? I, I think the problem for Henry is he can't get people to like him, and then he can't get people to hate him enough where they tune in to watch him potentially lose. So yeah, he's stuck he's in the kind middle. Of stuck. I agree. Yeah, where he's just not sellable. You know, all he, you know, the most he can get anybody to hate him is they just hate watching his interviews. So none of his interviews get any good traffic. So yeah. it, it's like he's stuck in a hard place. He's an extremely talented fighter. Um, and I, I think he's comfortable with this decision. I think Henry kind of, you know, he describes himself always as a conqueror. And I think... He conquered wrestling. He won the gold medal. He conquered uh, MMA. He won the UFC belt. He won two UFC belts. He defended one of them. Like he beat legends of the game. And then I think he's going to go into this real estate thing and, and kind of live a, a much quieter life. Like I would not be surprised to see him actually just walk away. Yeah, I, I think the only fight that gets him out of bed is that 145 title to become a three three time UFC champ. Never been done before. Um, you know, we've still got guys that, you know, I think Conor McGregor could be a three-time champ if he wanted to, if he really put his mind to it, but that's never been done before. And I think, I think that's the only fight that's going to pull King Henry back. So, all right, let's jump into more broader questions around this whole discussion. So tell us, what are the facts? What is the issue at the core, you know, of all these fighters rising up against Dana White right now? Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, I see the core issue, and, and boxing certainly has its own problems, um, and the way that this is implemented in boxing is not great, but I, I think that MMA needs an outside sanctioning body who is going to independently rank fighters and determine who should fight for the championship, because it gives fighters bargaining power to go to other promoters and know that they can still be a quote-unquote world champion even if they're not with the UFC. What that forces the UFC to do is have a more realistic market in terms of the purses that they're giving out to fighters because fighters are not going to sign for way below their market value just to be promoted by the UFC 
if there's no belt or world champion designation attached to it. Um, so I, I think that's what's really getting at it. And, you know, it's a question of, you know, that's kind of what the ugly act for MMA And that's a lot what would happen, you know, with a fighter's union or some sort of collective bargaining is force those market prices. Whereas right now you're seeing, you know, 16 to 18% of revenue going to these fighters compared to, you know, 45 to 50% for most other major sports. Um, and I think the fighters who suffer the most from it are the guys at the top of the bill. When you compare, you know, what these top level boxers make, what the most popular boxers make compared to what the most popular MMA fighters make, it's kind of pennies. Yeah, we, we looked at those numbers last week, but I agree. I, I think they've got to find some middle ground. And I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I think if you go, you know, the full, you put a, a union together, you get the CBA together. I, I think you see MMA start turning into a lot more like boxing. You know, I, I think that's the the UFC Dana White's they're definitely it's it's about the UFC at the end of the day. I think they see it as hey, you know, these fighters come and go, they're inter interchangeable, but the UFC is what sells. And to be honest, that's what's made the UFC the best over the years is, you know, they control everything from start to finish, the matchups, the pay, everything. So they can control everything. I think if they lose control of that, then you see a lot more competition amongst the other organizations because like you said, you know, John Jones could go test himself on the free market and maybe one championship pays him $15 million a fight or something like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think we're, we're kind of at a crossroads, you know, as with the sport as a whole, you know, it, it's relatively young. People forget the sport's only 20, 25 years old. So eventually there's going to come a time where, you know, fighters are going to start to put their foot down. And I think now you've got so many big superstars in one organization that I think if those guys could band together, then you could see some movement. I don't think you're going to get it, you know, one way or the other. I think it's going to end up being a compromise. So if they do meet somewhere in the middle, what do you think would be kind of a common ground that would solve you know, the, the biggest issues, but not completely ruin the sport and turn it into boxing where you're not getting the best fighting the best. You're getting, you know, a, a lot of greed and a lot of the wealth staying in, you know, the top 10, five to 10 fighters' hands. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing about MMA that is so different, right, is that it's all about MMA, we care about the card and care about the depth of the card. And I think in order to maintain that integrity, you're still going to have, you know, at most half a dozen promotions globally that are legitimately, that have, you know, 99% of all the best MMA fighters. Um, kind of the same way we have now. I think the thing that needs to be different from boxing is in boxing, you have four belts, right? You have, you know, WBO, WBA, uh, IBF and WBC, we need one in MMA. We need to have one sanctioning body that makes the decisions on who is the best. And then everything else is either a, you know, contender fight where it's like, let's see how good this prospect is, or it's kind of your fun fights where it's not necessarily going towards a belt. It's, you know, we're matchmaking for entertainment. 
the way that I think more matchmaking should be done now. Um, do you so, see the need for, if they go that direction? Do you see the need for more weight classes? I'm I am a hundred percent in favor of them adding the one sixty five and bumping welterweight to one seventy five. That's the only weight class that needs to be added. Okay, so let me ask you this: If we were not in the current situation with the pandemic, you know, UFC not being able to have gates. Do you think we're here? Or do you think a lot of these super fights had, would have already been booked by now? Maybe you would have had Connor versus Jorge or Connor versus Nate or John versus Francis. How, how do you think the pandemic and kind of the current situation we're living with is affecting all of this? I, I think I think I think this I think we're in the same situation. I think Dana's shown that he plays hardball with these negotiations. It's kind of how he's been able to stay in business this long and keep, you know, his profits as high as they've been. Um and and I think in general he he's the kind of person who is very wary of overpaying. Um and so I think I think we're we're still probably here. Um I think maybe, you know, maybe a couple of the conversations are different. Um, especially maybe the Connor one is is a little bit different, but in, in general I think uh, you know, the fighters don't get a percentage of the gate anyway. So the idea that they should be somehow responsible when that revenue goes away is also a bit unfair in my opinion. So I, I think you I think you have to figure out a way to pay these guys if you're Dana, otherwise you're really alienating the biggest stars in your sport. So, out of all these guys, who do you think has the most justified stance on kind of where they're at right now? And then who do you think has jeopardized their career the most with their current stance? I think Connor is the guy who's probably most jeopard or most uh, has the best argument. I mean, he's not even really asking for more. It's not really about money, right? Like, he just wants a fight. And Dana's like unwilling to give it to him, basically. Um, uh, I think John Jones is very justified as well. And Jorge Masvidal, I, I believe in the cause that he's fighting for. I just don't think he has the leverage to fight it. So he's probably the guy who's most at risk. I mean, Henry Cejudo can walk away now. I don't think there's a lot he can do to add to his legacy uh, unless he's going to defend you know, many, many more times. Um, but Masvidal, to me, is kind of that one UFC title away from being a Michael Bisping-style Hall of Famer. And he's kind of squandering his moment right now to get that legacy play to really cement as an all-time great in MMA. No, I agree. Um, okay, so we've talked briefly about, you know, maybe the solution is a fighter union or something like that. Um, what are steps that could be taken to get closer to that? You know, because in, in my eyes, it's like, yeah, in, in theory, that's a great idea. Let's let's get all the fighters together and you know get use your power and your leverage against the UFC but at the end of the day we're still talking fighters i mean you've got your top 10 fighters who they don't give a shit about the bottom half of the UFC roster they want they care about themselves their career their bottom line so how how would you even go about trying to get you know a fighters organization together because i know they've tried it in the past and it kind of fell short what what would need to be done to get that going in the right direction yeah i think a big you know in my opinion a, a big point of uh 
kind of misguided hope or or something that's a miscommunication to the public is the idea that this needs to be fighter led. Uh, fighters don't often negotiate their own contracts. They have managers for, and it's really when we talk about a fighter union, you're really talking about a manager union. You have to get guys like Ali Abdelaziz and the Kawa brothers and Daniel Rubenstein and Audi Attar, and they have to agree when we go in and negotiate contracts with the UFC, we're going to collectively bargain our clients. So then you'd start to have 75, 80% of the UFC that's spoken for by this you know, group of half a dozen managers. And then the UFC mm -hmm. is kind of forced to treat them as a fighter union. And when the fighters start to see the benefits of being aligned with that, they'll create a union because it'll allow them the freedom to choose their manager, but also the benefits that they got from collectively bargaining under those under that management arm. Okay. Um, all right. So last question, 2025, four years from now, what, what, if anything, do you see changing with the current situation? Because the way I see it, I, you know, I, I think the current model is not sustainable. The, the sport is reaching an all time high. And I think eventually something's gonna, something's got to change. You know, you've got to, figure some common ground between the UFC and the fighters and what do you think that's going to look like five years from now? I, I think there's the, the things that I'm paying attention to as far as what the landscape of MMA is going to look right now or look like in 2025. Number one is legally. So is there an Ali act for MMA? Um, does the UFC antitrust case, this class action lawsuit with John Fitch and Kung Lee, does that get ramped up where the UFC starts to get broken up? Um, are there other possible things that happen in terms of the way that uh, MMA is regulated that change? You know, do we get a national commission? Um, things like that, that would really change the landscape. I think the other thing I look for is the commercial side and really who is able to compete with the UFC. I think, you know, if Viacom is going to put money behind Bellator, they're going to move them to Showtime, make that a premium product like they did with Mayweather Boxing. Um, you know, I could see that as a, as a problem where the UFC starts to have to compete more on price because they have a competitor. You know, one championship in Asia is obviously getting a lot of viewership. Um, Ryzen's interesting. KSW in Poland is interesting. Um, you know, and there's new startups like Aries and other other places that come up every week. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see. My guess is that MMA will become a more competitive space over the next four years, and it will also get more heavily regulated, and more politicians will start to realize that this system is unfair. So I think that a lot of the UFC's business practices are actually going to get legislated out within the next couple of years. Um, but in, in general, I don't think we have a fighter union by 2025 because I, I just think there's too much. The athletic careers are too short, and there's too much individualism in the sport. Okay, out of those four guys, who's the first one to fight? Uh, I think it's Jorge Masvidal. I think he ultimately has to cave to pressure. The one caveat I would say is I, I think Connor... Um, I think Dana finds him a fight and, and he'll be unretired here by the end of the year. Yeah, I think so too. I think the only one that, you know, can afford to sit out, obviously King Henry retired, John Jones 
it's really got nothing to prove until we see what happens with the DC and Stipe fight. You know, and then I think he inserts himself back in heavyweight. Um, Connor, you know, he's just too big of a draw not to have fight for the next six months. Um, I I tend to agree with you. I I think they're probably going to turn their attention to booking Jorge Masvidal versus Conor McGregor just because that's a gigantic, gigantic fight. But then you've, you know, you obviously have to risk Conor going in there and losing and not being able to get that Khabib fight, which is the biggest fight that the UFC can make, period, in the next, you know, five years. So, um, interesting. It's a lot going on right now, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's been all over everywhere this week. So, um, all right. I think that's it on that. Let's let's move forward to we had a lot of lot of fights booked this week. Let's run through these and then we will get out of here. Um so this week we finally, finally got the Stepe versus DC trilogy book. That's gonna be UFC two fifty two going down August fifteenth. Um in your mind, what's at stake for this fight? Best heavyweight of the generation, in my opinion. Um I just think these two guys have the have the easy claim to it of kind of that, you know, post I would say post pride to present day best heavyweight. Um and and I think whoever wins this fight has a claim to that throne. I agree. I think outside of Fedor in my eyes, these are two of your best heavyweights of all time. Um all right, so we agree there. Um the way I see it, I, I could definitely see both of these guys walking away after this fight. You know, just hanging it up, win or lose, win, lose, draw, whatever. What are your thoughts on that? I, I definitely, I mean, DC is going to hang it up. I, I would guarantee that. Um, you know, I think Stipe is more 50-50. You know, I think if he wins, and especially if he wins convincingly, I think he's absolutely not done fighting. Um, but if he takes a lot of damage, if you know, the eye becomes a problem again, I could see him walking away. So where do you currently rank these guys in your top heavyweights of all time? For me, um, you've got Fedor, I think it's kind of a clear cut, number one. And then you've got really three guys. You've got kind of Cain Velasquez, Steve Amiotis, and DC. And I think this fight's really going to, you know, move one of those ahead to your clear number two. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I actually think I agree with you. Fedor is the clear number one um, right now. I think Stepe is kind of a clear number two, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And then I have DC three. I I think Kane is is actually a, a t- full tier below them with like your Junior Dos Santos and you know maybe like a Randy Couture, Miko Mirko Krokop, those type of a fighters. Okay. Um... All right, so big, big fight. We'll obviously jump back into that when it gets closer. But, um, okay, UFC 251. This is going to be the inaugural Fight Island card? Yep, July 11th, baby. Big card. So we've got Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Max Holloway in the second fight. Um, man, I love this fight. I I, I think you and I are going to be at odds here, but I'm, I'm going with Max. I think he's going to find a way to you know, clean up the issues he made in the last fight. And I, I, I honestly, I think this could be a trilogy fight and one of the great trilogy fights of our, of our generation. So um, what were your thoughts on that fight? I had bulk the first time and I have him again. I think he just makes really good guys look bad. And I haven't really figured out what he does, but 
you know, Aldo fought him really weird. Chad Mendez fought him really weird. Max Holloway fought him really weird the first time. And, you know, I, I would like to say that I thought it was an off night for Max, but I watched Volkanovski do that to multiple other elite fighters. So yeah. I, I just think there's something about this guy that really throws people off. Yeah, then we've got Kamaru Usman taking on Gilbert Burns in the 175 title. Um, I, I said it earlier, but to me, Gilbert Burns, he's your your biggest winner of the pandemic era. Gilbert Burns has been on absolute fire, knocked out Damian Maya in the first pandemic card, and then we saw what he did to Tyron Woodley a couple weeks ago. And with Masvidal and, you know, negotiations went astray, Gilbert Burns is your man. He gets the next title shot. Um, pretty crazy run he's been on the last two, three months. I said it last week, Parker, but I, I don't think you call out Kamaru Usman, your training partner, in the way that Gilbert Burns did if you don't have some inkling to how that, that fight would go. So uh, my yeah. early pick here is Gilbert Burns. I, I, I just really I, like the run he's too. on right now, and I I think he's super confident, and, and I'm, I'd be a little worried if I'm Kamaru Usman, to be honest. No, I totally agree with you. I, I think he's going to get pushed to the brink against Gilbert Burns. Um, so, yeah, that's a really big fight. And then the other one we talked about earlier, you've got Jose Aldo taking on Peter Jan. Um, after a huge weekend for the Bantamweights, this is, you know, the next fight to make. And then, you know, I think we, we both agree Aljo gets the winner of that. So um, initial thoughts on that, I, I think Peter Jan's just going to be too much for, you know, an aging Aldo. I really do. You know, let's see, because, you know, I, I tend to think that, you know, Aldo is getting older. He did not look bad against Marlon Moraes. I don't think Peter Jan has fought anyone even close to the caliber of striker that Aldo is. Aldo has great takedown defense. Um, I, I think this could be a war. I really do. Um, so so I would I would not count out Jose Aldo at this point. Yeah. Um, and then we've got. Doug Rose getting her, her redemption fight against Jessica Andrade. Um, Andrade took her title from her, what, two years ago now? A year and a half ago. And um, Doug Rose is back. So, again, I, you know, I think in my eyes, I think Doug Rose is still a top five fighter in women's MMA. Um, you know, I think she's got it all. And I, I really, really want to see her back in the mix against Joanna Weiling Zhang. I think that makes strawweight even more fun. Um, so huge, huge spot here for Rose coming back. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is, um, if, if Rose wins this, I think she's headed straight for a title shot in her next fight. Um, you know, I think they're going to do the, the Zhang against Joanna rematch. That fight was so incredible. I don't know how you don't do that rematch. Um, yeah. but then, you know, if Rose can, if Rose can come away with a victory here, I, I think she's, you know, clear-cut number one contender for the title, no question. Yeah, I agree. So, um, do you see the Yang versus Weiling Zong versus um, Joanna fight getting booked this year? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it'll end up being in the fall. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, big, big fight down there at Strawweight, and then um, yesterday it came down that heavyweight boxing is when we thought it couldn't get any better. You've got Fury apparently booked to fight Deontay Wilder in the immediate rematch, which was in their contract on the last fight. So that's going to be at the end of the year. And then Eddie Hearns announced 
yesterday, I believe, that Fury and Anthony Joshua have come to terms to fight two times in 2021. So I, I think that's gigantic for heavyweight boxing. I think the next two to three years is going to be really, really, really fun. You know, when you have all these stars at the top and they're all interested in fighting each other. And I think this will be the first time in like 20 years where all the belts will be on the line. Assuming yeah. that Fury can get past Deontay Wilder in their rematch. I believe the last unified heavyweight champion in boxing is Riddick Bowe, and I think it's 2003. Yeah. Um, but my thing is, Parker, and you're probably not going to like me saying this, but there's a lot of Tony Khabib potential with this Joshua Fury booking for me. Like, he still has to fight Deontay Wilder, and no matter what we saw earlier this year, Deontay Wilder has the touch of death. He just has it. And so the idea that, like, there is no question that Fury's just going to walk through Wilder again and then go fight Joshua for these, you know, four belts is, I think, a little bit wishful thinking. And I would be a little bit worried that Wilder's going to play spoiler here. But, you know, glad they came to agreement. Glad it got booked. I think heavyweight boxing is in the best position it's been in in, you know, probably 15 years at least. And... Uh, I'm excited for all of these fights. Yeah, we saw it last year with Joshua. I mean, he's going to have to take, I think he's got a mandatory fight coming up, and you saw what happened with him and Ruiz. I mean, anything can happen in heavyweight boxing. So, in an ideal world, I think Wilder gets through, or sorry, Fury gets through Wilder, and then you've got two giant fights that will sell out stadiums in England, assuming we're back to normal and having live events. But, um, Fun times right now. Fun times right now. Billy, anything else you want to add? Nah, I just want to say boxing came back last night. Shakur Stevenson with a uh, body shot knockout was, you know, very interesting from a presentation standpoint with no fans, you know, kind of similar to the, the Apex UFC cards. But, you know, glad to see that we're, uh, we're back rolling with combat sports. The governor said in Texas today that we can have combat sports events again. So... I think we'll be looking at a at an LFA event not too far in the distant future, Parker, and uh, you know, just seems to be getting back to uh, back to rolling here. Is coronavirus still a thing? Uh, it, it, you know, it's over now. We're past it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, sorry for the technical struggles we had this week. We'll get it worked out for next week, but. Parker's MMA show signing off. Like always, everyone like, subscribe, share, show us love, and we'll keep bringing the action. Billy, we made it. We're rounding the corner. Episode 40 is next. All right, buddy. Talk to you next week. All right. Until next time. See y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast. And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.